Why are most of your books about sex? Like, was there a, something that happened, some kind of event that you you thought, <laughs> okay, I got to talk about this. I've got to investigate um, this. Oh gosh. Well, I think it's partly serendipity and it's partly my personality. Um, <laughs> but I started out in the mommy blog sphere, like back, you know, 2008, 2009, all the mommy bloggers were all the rage. And I was writing about housework and about parenting and just all the stuff that every mommy blogger did back then. But I found that whenever I wrote about sex, my traffic went up. And so <laughs> so part of it was like mercenary, right? You're chasing traffic. That was part of it. And I think a lot of, a lot of the other part was I was writing um, mostly in the Christian sphere and like we're so bad at talking about sex in the Christian sphere. And I've never had a problem saying like clitoris or like, I just, I'm just fine with that. And my husband and I were speaking to a lot of marriage conferences. He's, he's a doctor. He'll say anything too. So it just was like a lot of people weren't comfortable and we were. And so we got slotted into this quite a bit for different magazines and TV shows and things. And so we just found ourselves talking about this. And then I realized, well, if I'm going to talk about this, I better figure out what I'm talking about. So I started doing a lot more research and, you know, reading all the books and making sure that what I was saying was right and all that. But yeah, it wasn't actually deliberate. Like nobody grows up thinking, I really want to be the sex lady for the Christian church. Like that's a weird thing. And <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> it's a very niche kind of group though. I mean, I was, mm -hmm. I, when I first read your email, um, I saw sex and I thought, okay, cool. And then I saw Christianity or something along those lines. And I thought, huh? And I read it again because it's just something that you don't usually hear, which is really great. And it's really perfect. And I'm so excited to like really talk to you about this because there's so many questions that I have on this mm -hmm. subject. My upbringing isn't super religious, but it was, it was kind of spotted with church. So I would go to church like every month or so, uh, mm -hmm. whenever my mom felt like it. And I grew up as a Christian, baptized Christian, but we, we weren't devout. Uh, however, I know exactly what you're saying when you're talking about the, you know, that, that whole uncomfortable air around the subject of sex mm -hmm. in this religious mm -hmm. culture. Because I had that for sure. We were a very conservative family growing up. And so whenever we would sit in the living room together and we would be watching a movie, you know, you were always on the, on the lookout because, you know, there's always going to be some kind of love making scene, right? That's just part of the formula. <laughs> so you're kind of like sitting there in the chair and you're kind of thinking, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And it happens and you start to sweat and you're like, mm, what are they thinking? What are they thinking? So it's that kind yeah. of thing that I had to, yeah. you know, go through. And just like you, I don't know what it was. And I, I you know, I decided to, to start talking about relationships and sex is just part of relationships. And it's one mm -hmm. of the most important parts of a relationship. And so I had to become very comfortable talking about it. So what, what is that mind sh mindset shift that happened like for you? How did you do it? Or did you just, you, you said you were always comfortable doing it, but okay, let's mm -hmm. talk about just people in general. When you talk to them about it, like, what do you think is holding them back from being open about it? Well, that's really what our, what, um, my latest book is about, you know, because it, it's it, it's it's a huge research project. Um, it's called The Great Sex Rescue. And what we did was we surveyed 20,000 um, predominantly Christian women to figure out 
Are there certain teachings in the church that are wrecking orgasm rates and that are causing rates of sexual pain to increase? So, like, are there certain teachings in the church that are wrecking sex for women? I just want um, to clarify. You said 20,000. Yes. Like, huge. It is. And, and the, the survey was minimum 130 questions. It was more if you were divorced or remarried or different there were certain other things where you might've had more like 180 questions. So it was, it was long. It, most people took about 25 minutes to do it. Um, so this was a huge project. It's, it's going to be in a, we're preparing some journal articles for peer reviewed journals as well, but we got the book out first. Um, but we, re- we really wanted to get to the bottom of this question is what is it that is hurting sex for Christian women? Because there are certain things that we already knew. Like for instance, In the 1970s, it was becoming very well known in gynecological journals that religiously conservative women, so that would include Christian women, it would also include Orthodox Jews or devout Muslims or whatever, had higher rates of vaginismus or sexual pain than the general population. So this has been known for like 50 years, okay? But nobody's ever asked why. Like, what is it specifically about being religiously conservative that causes that? Everyone just says, oh, it's just because you feel shame about sex. But we're like, well, no, like, what is it? Like, let's let's drill down even deeper and figure out the why. And so that's what we were trying to figure out in this survey is like, what's causing sexual pain and what is causing the orgasm gap? Because we have a mm. huge and orgasm when you say gap. That, I- there is right yeah so this is my next question is like how stark is that gap like is it really Mm -hmm. visible or is it like kind of just there and not many people are noticing it well um among men so we didn't survey men for this particular book we have for a subsequent book but but if you look at other studies um roughly 95 percent of men almost always or always reach orgasm during a sexual encounter but for um, the women that we looked at, the number was about 48. So that's a 47-point orgasm gap. And that's pretty much in line with other studies. Like, we've seen orgasm rates for women. It's, it depends how you measure frequency. So we all had different ways of naming frequency. So you can't, you can't look at the studies, compare them exactly. But, you know, other studies have shown between like a 37 and a, like a 61% orgasm rate. So we're kind of right smack in the middle. So we did, I think we're pretty good <laughs> at, and accurate. But yeah, we got a 47 point orgasm gap between men and women. And, you know, I'd really like to, to bridge that gap and figure out how to make that a lot less because that ain't right. So <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the uh, I think from the beginning of civilization, one of the biggest challenges between the sexes mm-hmm. is what happens in the bed. And is it, is it fair? <laughs> are mm-hmm. we, uh, are we, are we giving what we take? And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm no stranger to that kind of information that, that 47% sounds about right for just in general anyway. But like, mm-hmm. are you saying that that's the, mm-hmm. that's in religious groups specifically? And if so, do you know what the mm-hmm. difference is outside of religious groups? Or is that the difference well, like between I the said, religious groups and the normal groups? Yeah, like I said, other studies have had a female orgasm rate that we looked at um, anywhere from like 39 to 61 is what we found, you know, who who would say that they frequently are always orgasm. The problem was we were measuring 
almost always and always, and some people were measuring like frequently. And so like what counts as what, right? So it's hard to measure exactly right, between yeah, studies because sure. um, people might have interpreted those. Okay. So that, that's a huge difference then. But, yeah, but no, you know, I but, think but, for, but the, for the listeners, because I got confused. Yeah. But regardless, like you're looking at a female orgasm rate across the board of roughly like, let's say somewhere between 45 and 60% probably always or almost always whether they're religious or not whereas for men you're looking at an orgasm rate of about 95 percent so Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. your gender gap there right now that's the uh, i mean what do you attribute that to i mean if we're going to go into this uh kind of the, the roles that sex sexes play when having sex um I, I have my own thoughts, and I've talked about this a bunch with, with other people. Actually, our first episode ever was titled Faking Orgasms and What Men Can Do Better in Bed, uh, which, mm-hmm. by the way, just to mirror what you said earlier, was literally a traffic grab. Like I was, <laughs> I was yeah. thinking, what should yeah. I make the first episode? Let's make it about <laughs> orgasms. Surely that's going to get clicks. And it did. Yeah. It did. Um, yeah. But uh, I have my own thoughts about you know why, why men are – "Quote unquote hopeless on average in bed," um, but but what do you what are your thoughts about that? Well, what we were looking at specifically was: are there certain beliefs that are causing women's orgasm rates to lower? Like we all know that, like lack of foreplay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> contributes to to lower orgasm rates for women, and all of those kinds of things. But I think it goes deeper than that because. What causes lack of foreplay? You know, like, like, like we, we have to ask the next question. And a lot of the reasons for the lack of foreplay is also how we look at sex or even um, what we think of in terms of how the genders approach sex. So, for instance, if you look at the four big beliefs that we found really lower orgasm rates, the one overarching one, kind of like in Lord of the Rings language, like the one ring to rule them all, like, you know, the one thing that unites everything is the idea that sex is primarily for men. And when we approach sex as something which a husband needs or a man needs, but a woman might want, but she doesn't need it in the same way that he does, like sex is something that he needs, then that's what really causes problems. And if you think about it, like if a woman thinks, okay, he really needs this, I don't really want it, but he really needs this, then she's way more likely, like if he wants, if he wants to do foreplay, if he wants to make her feel great, she's way more likely to say, no, don't worry about myself. Just go on with it. Right? Like, because she thinks, no, it's your Mm -hmm, experience mm -hmm. that matters. It's not mine. Um, yeah. All right. That I can understand. I can see that. And it's made me, it's made me realize maybe something I haven't thought about too much, which is, you know, how you, how you initiate and, and the conversation around the event, or at least the actions in the conversation, maybe, maybe one or the other, because it's a psychological process, right? Where you're working your way up to something. And and with women, it's totally different. You know, I, I understand that. I, I know that for men, we can go, as one woman put it, who was on our show, from zero to 100 miles an hour in, the, in a split second. 
but for women, it's a, it's a psychological play. You, you're, you're kind of building up to that and it takes time and there's certain events that have to happen for, for it to get very, you know, wet and ready. So I think that I can see how that would play. One of the biggest roles is, is, is that belief that maybe, and, and you're, you're clearly, clearly you're saying that this is something that's taught uh, on a certain level, right? That, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's definitely taught in Christian circles. And that's one of the things we're trying to do is change the conversation. But I think there's even something else that goes even beyond that, which is this, like, if I were to say to you, did you have sex last night? Which I'm not actually asking. Okay, so you don't have to answer that. But if I if I were to ask you, we're very open on this show. <laughs> I was painting my nail. But, you know, you're picturing something specific in your head, right? Like you think what I'm asking is, did you put your penis into her vagina, move around till you climax? Like that tends to be our definition of sex, which is intercourse. The problem with that definition is that she could be lying there making a grocery list in her head, right? Like not even present. Or she could be lying there in emotional turmoil. She could even be lying there in physical pain and it would still count as having sex. Because our definition of sex doesn't actually involve her experience. Her experience is secondary to it. It's really what he's doing and it's his climax. And so we need to change our entire definition of sex. Like even with the orgasm rate, what we found is that of the women who do reach orgasm regularly, only 39% can orgasm through intercourse alone. Okay. Most need a whole lot of foreplay and most can't even orgasm through intercourse. You know, the other routes are way more reliable. And so if, if our definition of sex is intercourse, then if she needs something else, she's going to feel like she's being selfish like she's broken. Well, he has a really good time with this. What's wrong with my body that I don't, you know? And so she starts to feel like she's broken. Like I'm not working. He starts to feel like she's broken or like she's just not sexual. And so they rush through things and they never learn how to figure out that arousal piece and how to figure out how to make her feel good. And so, you know, even changing our definition of sex so that we have two different words. You know, we have sex, which is something which I would say should be mutual, intimate, and pleasurable for both. And then we have intercourse. And intercourse could be a part of sex for sure, but intercourse in and of itself is not it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow, though that's great. And, you know, I, there's a few things here. I can see how there's a lot of, obviously, there's a lot of factors that need to be taken into account when you do studies like that. And I'm sure that you, you're, you're, you're definitely aware of them. You've just been speaking about that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like a, you won't know exactly, but you're getting an idea of it. Um, and another thing that I wanted to say is that as a man uh, and as a person who's quite sapiosexual, uh, right, for anyone who doesn't know what that means, it's when you're attracted to someone's way of thinking or someone's mind uh, more than you are physically. And I, I don't know if it's true that I'm more attracted to someone's mind than I am to their physical appearance, but I'm definitely very interested in, their, in the way they think. And so for me... Uh, intercourse isn't enough. Like I need to have different ingredients in there. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, 
the even for the 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 guy that doesn't think that far ahead or doesn't just operate that way, we we have to also recognize that a guy might go back to his friends and say, hmm, you know, I you know I fucked her or you know we we had sex or whatever and feel good and get that validation. He's trying mm-hmm. to achieve something that isn't pleasure. It's notoriety. It's uh, it's mm-hmm. his own self validation. It's like, yeah, I did it. You know, I've, and I've I've been through that before. I know how that feels, and I'm sure most men feel that way too. Or they get that kind of fear of. Well, one of the biggest challenges for men in the bed is uh, is the fear of performance or lack of performance. So it's a it's yeah. a constant battle in the mind. Um, yeah. And I think, I think too, I mean, people just want connection. Like we make sex in something which is only physical and it really isn't like there is that intimate connection that people want as well. And that really makes sex fulfilling. And when we focus only on the physical, we lose that. And I think that's why guys really don't like duty sex, you know, like nobody, you don't, you don't want to get duty sex. And yet that's one of the big teachings. Can you teachings. explain that for, for us, what that means? I think most people might not know what it means. Yeah, like that idea that that um, she needs to give him sex because he needs it or he'll be frustrated or he'll be grumpy and it's been a couple of days and he's probably due. And so it's not that she's into it. She's just having sex because she figures he needs the release. And most good guys don't want that. Most good guys want an experience where she's really into it as well. You know, because otherwise it doesn't feel, it just feels like I'm just using her and where there's no connection there. And so you want it to be something that you're experiencing together. And the problem is that what we found in the Great Sex Rescue is that a large part of the things that women internalize, these messages that women internalize is, you know, you're obligated to give them sex. Like you owe him sex, you know, especially once you're married, like you have to give him sex every couple of days or he's going to get grumpy and he won't be able to function and he won't be able to be nice to you. And, you know, this is just what he needs. And we focus so much on what he needs that it makes sex into a duty for women. And when something is a duty, it's not fun. It kills passion. Mm, yeah, and we see that all the time, right? In in mainstream media, we hear about it from our friends and maybe even mm-hmm. family as well about how the sex life has just died, and, and that's that's actually what sex life is kind of about. The show on Netflix, it's mm-hmm. a it's a a woman who is in a relationship, a marriage. She's got children with him. He seems like the perfect guy. And, um, you know, the, it, the passion just isn't really there. And as, when her ex comes into her life again, it, she's reminded of how passionate, you know, sex can actually be. And so there's a kind of a, mm-hmm. a dilemma. And how big do you think a problem like this is? In, it's obviously a big problem. But I mean, in, in your mm-hmm. opinion, how, how much of a problem is having this kind of situation with sex in relationships? What we found is that when women feel obligated to give him sex, um, she does end up having sex slightly more frequently than if she doesn't. Okay, so they 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 have intercourse more frequently. It's not a big difference. It's not like you go from like four times a week to like zero or something or once a month. It's 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 like it's you know instead of one point one, it's like one point four times or whatever it might be. It's not a huge difference. But it is, it is more frequently. However, <laughs> her chance of orgasm goes down 
tremendously. Her chance of sexual pain in, is doubles. Um, there's all kinds of really negative outcomes. What we found is that if you want sex to be frequent, <laughs> it's way more important, instead of telling people how much they should be having sex, to figure out why it is that some people don't want sex. Because frequency is a symptom it's not the thing in and of itself. And when we start saying, oh, you know, the average couple has sex twice a week or, you know, those who have the best sex have sex three times a week or whatever, we're missing the bigger picture because having sex three times a week where she never orgasms is not going to help, right? Like, and so instead, figure out yeah. why she doesn't Probably want sex. Yeah, figure out why she doesn't want sex and figure out how to make it feel good for her and give her a reason to want it. Um, and of course, we have to remember too that like in 19% of marriages or long-term relationships, um, he's actually the one with the lower sex drive. It's not her. So it's like, it's not always the one way, right? It can go either way. And we need to keep that in mind as well. Absolutely. Uh, I've suffered from, you know, I don't, I'm not so sure about you, but if, from my experience, you know, I was in a, I was engaged to someone and we were together for five years. And during those five years, toward the end, I would say the last, the fourth year, you know, things literally and figuratively dried up. And that was a big problem for me uh, and for her. We were in our 20s. And it was just a, it was just a, a big battle. And the funny thing is, so, so she would go through, I'm not sure what you called it earlier. I should probably know this, but, um, some kind of sexual pain, uh, mm -hmm. some kind of like, you know, rigidness to the vagina, yep. which causes mm -hmm. a, a pain. And I think a lot of women apparently go through that, um, when they're just, there's some kind of mental psychological trauma or something blocking mm -hmm. them. And, um, it wasn't always like that. It, it became like that. And I think, um, well, I'll tell you about the next relationship and then I'll come back to this and I'll give you my conclusion. But the next, you know, the next relationship, for example, was just nonstop. Like we, we couldn't get enough of it. And I don't think it was, it wasn't due to the honeymoon, honeymoon phase. It wasn't because mm -hmm. we were still getting to know each other and it was exciting. The difference I believe was a mutual understanding that just as we're talking about now, there is a lot more involved with just than, than just intercourse. Mm -hmm. You know, sex is a massive spectrum of human emotions mm -hmm. and behavior mm -hmm. and language and communication. And so with that different partner, I, we tried, you know, we, I mean, I guess the, the chemistry was there, but the chemistry was there with my previous partner too. It wasn't like we didn't have chemistry. What I think was different is we really took our time and we really communicated mm -hmm. and we really let each other mm -hmm. know how we feel. And we just felt a lot more into each other and a lot more, uh, excited about the actual process. And so, uh, you know, um, I, I mean, if anyone's listening to this, I, I would personally say it, 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 again, it's not about the frequency. It's not about the frequency or the, or the, or the, um, you know, um, the, the, the effort that you put in at the actual moment that you're having sex. Cause that's just, mm -hmm. it's, if it's not right to begin with, it's not going to be right. If you put in more effort, like, I mean, probably. Mm -hmm. So I would say uh, in my experience, it's all about the buildup 
It's about the setting, the tone. It's about, you know, really kind of like being open emotionally with your partner. Because if mm-hmm. there's anything, if there's like a, I don't know, if there's something there that you, you haven't addressed or you, you're just not, you're not talking mm-hmm. about, it, it's, it's like it's in the back of the mind, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's something there and it's like a block. It's acting as a, a block to this mm-hmm. energy. Um, so I don't know what you think about that, but that was my experience. Um, Yeah, well, you know, um, there's a one of the outcome variables that we were measuring as well was feeling emotionally connected during sex. And what we found is that that is a key thing for women's marital and sexual satisfaction and for women's orgasm rates. Like if you don't feel emotionally connected during sex, it's much harder to achieve orgasm, um, or to say that your sex life is good. And women just, um, well, let me back up. We have a hard time with that, though, because we tend to compartmentalize sex and we tend to separate the physical from the emotional. I mean, our culture has a very pornographic way of seeing sex, like that sex is about using someone, that sex is about a power differential, that sex is about, um, you know, just all kinds of different insert adjective here. But it's it's not about an intimacy or a sharing. It's more about a taking or a using. And... That may have some physical highs, but it doesn't tend to to um, get people feeling emotionally close. One hundred percent with that. And so, how you know how we can separate and how we can find a new way of relating that isn't a pornographic style of relating towards sex is really important. And that was another one of the big findings that we had is that um, a lot of women feel like I need to have sex with my husband to stop him from using porn, you know, like if he's, if he's got a sex addiction, if he's really into pornography, if I have sex with him, then he won't use porn as much. And that actually is a misnomer, but that, that idea, um, really hurts women's sexual performance and satisfaction because it's like, it's like having sex with a gun to your head, right? Like if you don't do this, then something bad is going to happen and that's going to kill sex anyway. But also, you know, sex is not a substitute I, I for pornography. I just want to say something about that, actually, because yeah. there's there's something really, really fascinating in that point that you just made. If a woman tells her partner that he must have sex with her, let's say, you know, she's fed up and she she needs him to do this. Otherwise, she doesn't know what she's going to do. Maybe it's the end mm-hmm. of the relationship. Maybe she's going to leave for a while. And she's like, we have to have the guy is unless he takes Viagra or some kind of, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. He's not going to be able to perform like he would normally. And the, right. f- the thing is, men need to be able to be hard to perform, but women don't need yeah. to be able to be exactly. wet to, for men to perform. And so exactly. what we're seeing here is, uh, again, to your point, intercourse does not equal sex. It's, yeah. it's in, uh, you know, it's just a, an unfortunate situation where, um, and I know that both sexes suffer, but it's just an unfortunate situation where this problem can go unresolved for so long if it's the woman that is having the mm-hmm. issues. If it's the guy who's not having any issues, it could go on for years and years and years. And we've seen that before in relationships. Yeah. But what's your thought about yeah. porn anyway? I mean, if you want to answer that, but that's fine. But I also wanted to ask you, what's your, what are your thoughts about porn in relationships? Well, what we found is it's it's pretty much universally destructive. And and most studies are finding that now too. I mean, even aside from the impact on your sex life or whatever, I just have a big issue because of the sex trafficking 
thing. I mean, you look at Pornhub. Um, anyway, it breaks my heart. I just, it's more. It's more. Uh, it's more than people think, right? It, the the, yeah. the girls in those videos are more of them yeah. are actually trafficked than, than people would believe. Yeah, and 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 so much of it is non-consensual. And even if you think it's consensual, if she was sexually abused her whole life and now she's using drugs or now she's whatever, like how how much consent is really there? So I just I have I have some moral issues just with the sex trafficking angle of it. Um, but again, if what you're really looking for is a sexual relationship where you feel intimate and you feel pleasurable together, then you need to be emotionally present. And when porn's involved, you're not being emotionally present. You're dissociating from your partner in order to fantasize about whatever is going on. And then you're trying to recreate it. And so you're actually distancing yourself from your partner at the same time as you're with them. Um, and so that's why porn often doesn't work. And the more people use porn, multiple studies have shown this, um, the more guys get delayed ejaculation, the more they have um, erectile dysfunction, the more women, um, women can get away with this a lot more than men because women can fantasize to orgasm. And so women can be like totally not there in their heads and the guy may never know because she's imagining erotica or act, you know, imagining porn or whatever it might be. And so again, there's just no emotional connection. You're just using each other like sex toys, which, you know, is not really what I hope we want in a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think people know if they've been listening to this for some time, I've made it very vocal how I think about porn in relationships. And I, I am not a fan of it. I think it's fine if you're, well, I mean, I also think that it's not entirely healthy anyway, even if you're single. But um, in relationships, for sure, it, you know, like, like you, you kind of mentioned it, the whole point of being in a relationship with someone is to share intimacy and connection, mm -hmm. uh, among other things. And mm -hmm. if you are letting something like porn leech that from you, and I'm talking about using it independently within the mm -hmm. relationship. If you watch it together, I guess fair enough. Like, you know, that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're using it individually by yourselves in the relationship, you're um, funneling off that uh, attention, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's just... Mm -hmm. You, you did say it very well. It's just so damaging. And so people will argue with me. And I, I had a conversation with someone that I was actually, that I'm actually dating, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm very, I'm very open to people's opinions about things. I don't shoot anyone down usually. Um, but, but, but when, so when we talked about this, I just, I wanted to ask her what she really thought and, and, and find out if she actually ever really had any thoughts about what she's saying. Cause she said, I don't see any problem with it. So I said to yeah. her, you know, well, um, if you're in a relationship and you're masturbating to porn, um, what's the difference between you going and having sex with someone else and just masturbating mm -hmm. to someone else having sex. Like, what's the difference mm -hmm. apart from the physical connection? And she couldn't answer me. She said, you know what? Yeah. You've got a point there. I've never thought about that. And that's, yeah. that's uh, so it could be, you know, tantamount to, from one angle, it could be tantamount to cheating. And yeah. people don't realize that, you know, because it's so accepted. Yeah. It's so widely accepted and used. It's, it's like alcohol. Mm -hmm. You know, we drink it, we mm -hmm. kill ourselves, but we, we don't question it because it's so widely accepted. But it's yeah. so damaging. Yeah. 
It's really a splitting of your sexual self because um, what you are doing is you're splitting the physical, you know, desires and release, et cetera, from the relationship. And what we've known for years is that the best sex is had by people who can combine those two, not people who, who split them. And so, you know, and that's for both men and women. It's, it's, it's much more pronounced for women, but it's true for men as well. Um, and so when we, we want to get over is the splitting because sex, I think really was intended to be something which binds us together, which, you know, makes you feel like you don't know where you end and the other person begins. Like it's this, it's this wonderful, passionate experience. And that's not the case if you're kind of dissociating in your mind from your, from your partner, spouse, whatever, when you're with them. So, mm -hmm. we could really get into a long conversation about this is, this is, this, I want to say this because I think it needs to be said. And uh, I haven't really thought about this to any great degree. So forgive me if I'm not eloquent in the way that I communicate. But I believe even if we cut porn out mm -hmm. and we're still using social media and we're still on Instagram and we're still seeing these uh, almost picture, pixel perfect photoshopped images of people with very exaggerated, you know, um, sexual appearances, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it's not just Instagram. It's it's every, it's on YouTube. It's in the videos that we watch. It's um, mm -hmm. it's everywhere. It's in the cosmetic surgery that we do now these days. That's just kind of taken on a life of mm -hmm. its own. I think we're really challenged in our relationships to stay interested in our partner because there's so much out there that we're being exposed to. So much exaggeration. Uh, that mm -hmm. wouldn't have existed before until recent years where everyone seems to be obsessed or a lot of people are obsessed with their physical appearance and attraction. And so they're mm -hmm. going and getting surgery or they're hitting the gym six times a week. And I don't have a problem if you want to hit the gym six times a week. I don't even have a problem if you want to do surgery. But I think we need to – well, this is my question to you. What do you think is going on? And, and how do we, how do we get out of this situation that we clearly seem to be having trouble with? I think we've forgotten what the key to great sex is. You know, the key to wonderful sex, amazing sex is vulnerability. It's the ability to, to truly be yourself with someone. It's to let all pretense go. It's to be completely naked in every way. You know, it's, it's not physically naked. the easy part. That's not the hard part. It's letting them see who you really are. And then sex is a joining of you being completely and authentically you with all of your flaws, with all of your fears, with all of your baggage, but also with all of your dreams and all like with everything. And then you're joining with someone else. And that's the key. The problem is most of us can't be that vulnerable with someone else. You know, either we're not in the place where we can honestly trust our partner enough. You know, we don't know if the commitment level's there. We don't know if if they're safe or not, um, what, if, whatever reason. And then sometimes even when the commitment is there, you still feel like they don't really accept me or I've never been able to really show them this part of me. And And so I think all of us not all, but a lot of us are having sex and it's like, we know we're missing something, but we don't know what that something is. And so we figure that we just need to get kinkier or make everything more hot or whatever. And I'm not, you know, go do what you want. I'm like, whatever. I'm not trying to make a statement on that. I'm just saying that for most people, 
what we found is that the solution doesn't necessarily lie in like a sex toy shop. The solution lies in learning how to actually let someone in, in every way. And that, that's why makeup sex is a real thing. Like, like people don't realize this, but you know how after you've had a fight, you really want to jump each other. Okay. And it's because you've been totally emotionally vulnerable. Right? Like they, you've, you've let them know, hey, I'm really scared of this, or, or it really makes me upset when you do this. And that's a vulnerable thing to share. And so, you know, you've hashed this out and you've talked about how, yeah, this is just a really sore spot that you hit. And, and, you know, this hurts me, or I didn't mean to hurt you. And you've shared emotionally. And then that's what gets you hot for each other. And so it's like vulnerability is what we're missing so often. Hmm. Oh my gosh. That's something I've never heard before. I mean, I know of makeup sex. I've had it many times with very toxic relationships that I've been in. And it's great, <laughs> you know, at the time. But I've never really thought about what's going on mechanically. And that's an excellent yeah. way to describe it. I mean, um, it's profound, actually. You know, because vulnerability, like we talked about at the very beginning... If we could just learn how to access that and be accepting mm -hmm. of ourselves, I think it's really accepting yourself, isn't it? It's vulnerability mm -hmm. is, in essence, your ability to accept yourself and be open to criticism and potential mm -hmm. pain and hurt, uh, mm -hmm. and have a, a you know confidence that you are enough, that you're going yeah. to be fine, that nothing could ever hurt you um, when it comes to you being yourself. And so mm -hmm. it's kind of like a genuineness, right? It's, uh, it's an understanding mm -hmm. that there's no other way to really play this game than to just, as, you know, if, full, if happiness and fulfillment are the objectives of life, then vulnerability is the, I guess, the foundation of that. Uh, yeah. Because without that, nothing else can, can none of that can, can manifest. Right. And the problem is that the, the foundation of vulnerability is safety and trust, right? So it's like, you can't, you can't just manufacture vulnerability. You can't just decide I'm going to be vulnerable right now. Like you need to, you need to have the right conditions for that. And that's where, I guess we've come full circle in the discussion, but that's where the relationship matters too. Like you have to feel, you know, like, like I, we're emotionally connected and this is about both of us together. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with you in that respect. When it comes to a relationship, it's a it's a dance. It's like it's mm -hmm. too too. It takes two tango. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you: um, Do you think that this is the unhappiest generation so far? Mm, that's a tough one. Because because you know I, I'm mean, not saying you're really 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 old or anything. <laughs> do you mean <laughs> right? do you mean millennials? Do you mean Gen I mean, Z? I, when, people, when I ask those questions, they're like, well, well, we didn't we didn't live in previous generations. Um, yeah. But I mean, we have history books, so that's a start. Yeah, I actually think Gen Z is going to get a lot right. I think Gen Z is going to turn everything around. Honestly. Um, like when you look at the stats for millennials or Gen Z, like millennials go to therapy like no other generation before them. You know, <laughs> like millennials will talk about their junk, you know, which is awesome. Um, I think millennials know what they don't want and Gen Zs know what they don't want even more so. Um, 
And I think people are really yearning for significance and they're, they're really getting rid of the disposable society. I think my generation had the disposable society and you look at the trends among millennials and Gen Z, like even the minimalism trend, right? Like where we're only going to have what we absolutely need, but then we're going to buy the best of it. So we're not going to have 10,000 things in our house. We might only have like 500, but those 500 are going to be really good quality, you know, and that's what the younger generations are really valuing. And I think that's going to play over into our romantic relationships as well is that people want stuff that's going to last. People want significance. They don't want shallow anymore. Um, you see that in politics. You see it everywhere. We want something that's, that's not, that's going to last. So I don't know. I have a lot of hope. <laughs> that's nice. That's really, really nice. That's a positive message. Um, yeah, it's especially difficult for young people to catch a break just because of, you know, TikTok and all of the things yeah. that they get up to, which is kind of harmless when you think about it. But I think it's been that way. Every new generation that comes around, the previous ones kind of roll in their eyes and always kind of saying, you, know, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. Um, but I yeah. like what you're saying and I, I want to believe it. And I think life, at least, I think there are cycles to this. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we seem to be coming to a very heady climax of a, of a whole long list of just disastrous behavior that has gotten us into a situation where uh, division is at an all-time high. Um, you know, yeah. there's a lot of social movements right now. Our economy isn't doing well at all. And... Um, I yeah, I have high hopes that we're going to be able to turn things around. Um, mm -hmm. But it does start with the young people. I had a conversation earlier, and this is someone, something that I've talked about quite a few times, is, is do you want to have children? And I say, yeah, I want to have children. I mean, there's been times where I've been quite um, – I didn't want to have kids because I didn't want to subject them to what I believe could happen, very, you know, mm -hmm. very probably could happen. In, in the lowering of the quality of life and just terrible things that might come from whatever stuff we've been doing. But I think that I do believe more in the fact that the, the children we raise are going to be the ones that are going to be able to mm -hmm. build a better world for everyone because parenting is another big topic that I love. And I think our mm -hmm. parenting sucked a like yeah. over the last hundred years it really yeah. sucked. Um, and so we've got a lot of work to do there. Yeah, uh, yeah for sure. Um, but when it comes to this, uh, this book, how can people uh, get their hands on it? Where is it being sold? Yeah, so the great sex rescue everywhere, Amazon, everywhere you look, it'll be there. It's doing quite well on Amazon, so yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's, again, based on our survey of 20,000 women to see what really works for sex and what really wrecks it, so yeah. How did you come up with the 20,000 figure? Like, that's a huge amount of people yeah. as a study. Well, that's like I have a, a pretty large peer-reviewed yeah, study kind of yeah, and we're we're working on some peer-reviewed articles right now, um, especially around sexual pain. But I have a fairly large newsletter list, so we got like I, we probably got about ten thousand from my list, and then we had a lot of other influencers sharing the links so that we could get people with all different diverse belief systems, so that we could compare against each other, and that was important to us. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
it's fascinating stuff. And I'm so, so happy you came on and talked to us about this today. It's been a real pleasure to have you here. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do people get in touch with you uh, online? Where do they find you? Um, so I'm the Bear Marriage Podcast, or you can find me. I'm Sheila Gregoire on Instagram and Twitter and all those things. So, yep, you go there and you will find my blog, my website, everything. Excellent. I appreciate it. I hope you uh, do really well with this book. And I can't wait for the seventh book coming out. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Hey, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe today and you won't miss the next episode. We cover topics like recovering from infidelity, online dating, managing chronic anxiety, and so much more. We're on all the popular platforms. So take your pick and we'll see you soon.